We're going to be going to Romans 9. By the way, we have a baptism in, I want to say, two weeks. So look forward to that, a baptism in our sanctuary. We're going to have several uh, people, children, and young adults baptized. I'm looking forward to that. And, um, you know, I was thinking sometimes it feels like the Holy Spirit's giving me things to say uh, last minute. And I'm not usually a last person, last minute person, but maybe that's the way the Holy Spirit's stretching me. So I'm going to say a few things, and hopefully it comes out right if it doesn't. I apologize. Um, You know, we're going to talk about God's mercy, and we're going to talk about God's justice, and we're going to talk about God being a just God in just a moment. God is faithful to his promises. You know, many people come to church and come to a worship gathering or maybe be listening to this podcast later on or or watching on on TV or on your computer screen, and, and we want something But sometimes we don't realize what we need. And we want something, but what we want is not really what we need. What do I mean, besides being very confusing, is oftentimes our natural bent is to want candy. Our natural bent is to want to feel good. So here's an example. And I won't use me and I won't use our church. I'll use another church I really respect. When I was serving as a pastor in Alliance, I knew that somebody from my other church, from my church, was going to another church. And it was a church actually growing in young adults and a good church, a Bible-believing church. And, and uh, one of our child care workers went with her son and her grandkids to that church. And, and I had heard that the pastor, a very good preacher and very good writer, had published and stuff, had started out this sermon talking about hell. And, and this... Uh, Grandmother, who was one of our child care workers, didn't really like that. So I, I said, hey, I heard that the sermon, they started out talking about hell. And she said in a somewhat with a smile on her face, and she said, yeah, I don't like it when they start out talking about hell like that. But it's okay. I went home and got a little Joel, and I felt better. And, uh, of course, she meant Joel Osteen right there. You know, our natural bent is to go to what makes us feel good inside. And so you come here or you're listening or you're watching, you want me to make you feel good. And some of that's okay, some of that's appropriate, but my job is also to not violate God's word. And what we need to understand is God's word teaches that we are the problem. I was listening to Charles Stanley. I lived in Cincinnati at the time. I still remember driving down the road, listening on the radio, and Charles Stanley said, men would not write the Bible because it tells us we are the problem. It tells us that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he's rightfully angry. He's justly angry. We have committed high treason against him. Many times we look at things like the flood narrative or, or Genesis 3 when God kicks man and woman out of the garden and we miss the grace in things like that and we don't realize. God would have been totally right and totally just to say, I'm done. I gave them free will. I gave them freedom and look what they did. I'm done. I'm going to just get rid of all humanity And God was, many times we think and we talk like God needs us, right? Many times, even even a respectable evangelist, very respectable evangelist once said, I won't say his name, but you would know him, God is lonely. God's not lonely. God has total fellowship he needs just in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If God needed us, 
That would mean that God was not perfect, and God is not perfect. God is totally, completely perfect in the Godhead. He does not need us. He doesn't need us. Many times we blame God. We say, how could God cause the flood? How could God do this or that? We don't realize we are the problem. Now, here's the encouraging thing. God stepped into our creation, the incarnation. God became a man in Jesus. God lived as a man for 33 years. God went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins and rose again to save us. God gives us multiple opportunities to repent and turn our lives over to him as Lord and Savior. God gives us opportunities to live for him once we become a Christian, to live for him. Yesterday morning, they had the Christian Law Association, legal counsel, speak at yearly meeting. Christians can be really, really mean. They take their churches to court. They sue them. Some of these court cases go on for 10 or 15 years over, over frivolous things. Uh, somebody didn't get to sing when she thought she was going to get to sing. True case. They, they shared that story. Other things. They're, they're, you know, and somebody was telling me this morning about how you know, a lot of times, apart from Christ, we can be pretty immoral and pretty mean. We're seeing that in the in great experiment of immorality right now in our culture. But what bothers me more is when supposed Christians are so cruel and mean. And maybe that's because we think we are entitled to something. We think we just want to feel good. Our natural bent is to say, make me feel good. And sometimes we need convicted to repent and to go and repent to somebody else for something we said. To first and foremost, to repent to God. Sometimes we need to repent to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior for the first time. So... We're going to talk about God as the just judge, but remember that he is the judge, and he is the perfect judge, and he is the almighty judge. He is the judge, and we're going to be, as we continue Romans 9, especially next week, we're going to look at passages that talk about who are we, O oh man, to talk back to God? We do that. We are like a clay. And, and Paul's going to give a passage. He's quoting from Jeremiah, actually. He's quoting from Jeremiah. And, and Paul's going to quote from Jeremiah saying, how can the clay look back at the potter? We always do that. I loved hearing Francis Chan talk about the, 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 it's just an obvious statement, but he said it so rightly. You know, many times we look through the Old Testament and we think, why did God do that that way? Why did God do this that way? And Francis Chan said, I admit, sometimes I would think if I were God, I would do something a different way, but I'm not God. Isaiah 55, you know, as the rain falls from the sky and doesn't return without watering the earth, sometimes we think sometimes too much, sometimes we think too little. As they're experiencing in the Southwest, of course, we did create a city in a desert. So what do we expect? Well, that's another topic. We'll come back to that another time. Anyways, uh, but we're not God. Isn't it amazing that God knows? He is omniscient. He knows everything. God, in a moment of time, actually, he interacts with time different than we do. Philosophically, kind of separate from time. So God doesn't even have to expend any of our time to, he can think of all possibilities. He can know as a master chess player, if he moves this person this way, it's going to affect a thousand billion other people this way, and that's going to affect a trillion people this way, and that's going to affect everything else this way. God knows all of that. It's things for us to think about. Who are we and who is God? God is awesome. 
We agree upon that, amen? amen? And we need to recognize our rightful place and that he is the just judge. And so Romans 9, Paul begins talking about Israel's unbelief. And he's saying Israel's unbelief is not inconsistent with God's plan. People are questioning, why did the Israelites reject the Messiah? Why did they reject Jesus? Uh, Megan had a history class. I think she was in like 10th grade. I had had the same history teacher before. He was Jewish. He was a good teacher, a, a, a funny teacher. I liked him a lot. And, and he said, you know, it's great if the Christians want to start a new religion, but why do they have to take our guy? You know, uh, Jesus was and is Jewish. He fulfilled the law. He was, a, was and is a descendant of, of David, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Adam. You know, we see those, those um, ancestries in the Bible. And he did that to save us. He's a just judge. And Israel had a hardening, a partial hardening, and that's what we're getting into. But I want to, by way of example, talk about justice for a minute. Don't we all yearn for justice? Don't we see that things do not appear as they should be, right? Even if you go to court, even if you go to the Supreme Court, it doesn't always seem like the decisions are right. Do we realize that even the Supreme Court it has, rever has reversed their decisions in the past? They've done that. They've recognized we've made the wrong decision. Many of us are hoping that eventually they will recognize they made the wrong decision about Roe versus Wade and maybe even other things, which would send it back to the states. We are all searching for justice. And, and I read this illustration, which in my notes, you can read it later, about even within the Olympics. At the Winter Games in Sochi, a scandal was generated after a Russian skater won the gold medal in the short program, beating out another highly favored skater. And after she won it, she raced off, uh, skated, off the ice into the arms of a Russian judge. And they thought, that doesn't seem right. We have a judge that seems partial, you know, to, to the uh, skaters, we're all looking for justice. NBC News later found that approximately one-fifth of the 164 judges eligible for the, the 2018 Winter Olympic Games, uh, one-fifth of those uh, eligible judges were current or former leaders in their national skating federations. And they were concerned that they would be partial. They would not exercise justice. You know, we deal with injustice in this world, don't we? We do, right? You can respond. What we see in the scriptures, though, is that God is just. We, we are the problem. God has stepped in to save us. Oftentimes, as I started with my um, extemporaneous illustration, we want the candy rather than the, the good, healthy meal that God wants to give us from his word. We want just give me some sweets. And I crave sweets, so I understand that. But when we actually look at the Bible, when we look at the whole uh, meta-narrative of the Bible, when Genesis to Revelation, we see that we are the problem. We violated God. We went against his standard. We sinned against Almighty God. But he stepped into our creation to save us. And someday he will totally judge the living and the dead. But he will be, and he is a just judge. That's what we see in the scriptures. God is not partial. God is not swayed by money. He's, he's not partial. God is not swayed by influence. God is not swayed by anything like that. And we're going to look at that today. Israel's unbelief is not inconsistent with God's plan. God has a perfect plan. And we're going to look at that in Romans 9, 14 through 18. So first, let's look at verse 14, and we're going to see that God is just. Read with me verse 14, either in the manuscript that you have or on your, on your cellular phone. Or on your, in your Bibles, verse 14. What shall we say then? Question. 
Is there injustice on God's part? Second question. By no means. An emphatic answer. By no means. God is not unjust. Paul is emphatic in his response. By no means. Now let's summarize Romans up to uh, Romans chapter 9 to this point. How did we get to this place? Romans 9 is a pivotal passage in Romans as well as in the New Testament. In Romans 9, verses 1 through 6, Paul was writing about how desperately he wanted to see his people saved. Remember, Paul was ready to be accursed, and that literally means sent to hell. Paul was ready to go to hell if it meant the salvation of his kinsmen and women. If it meant the salvation of his ethnic group, Paul said he would go to hell. Now, Paul knew that that was impossible. He was, being, he was, he was using hyperbole. It was impossible. Only one person can substitute them, themselves himself, Jesus, in the place of another. Only Jesus could take our sins. But Paul desperately wanted the Israelites, his Jewish people, to be saved. And he realized that was impossible. In verses 6 through 13, which was last week, Paul wrote about how the word of God has not failed. Paul wrote about how the promises of God have not failed. Paul explained that all of those descended from Israel were not true Israel. In other words, all of those descended from Abraham were not true Israelites. The promise was going to come through Isaac and not Ishmael. And then the promise was going to come through Jacob and not Esau. In fact, if you recall, Jacob... Did I just lose my mic for a minute? We'll, we'll see. Okay. We might end up needing the pulpit mic. Uh, if you recall, Jacob... I got battery. Jacob was renamed Israel. And Paul was making the case, reminding them, he's not really making this up, he's reminding them that all those descended from Abraham were not true Israelites. It came through Isaac and then through Jacob, and then actually it's a spiritual thing where even Gentiles are grafted in. And if you remember the end of that section in verse 13, God says, um, God says, Jacob I have chosen, but Esau I have rejected. Um, actually, God says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. And if you recall, for those of you paying attention to my sermons, this is a reminder, knowing that not all of our memories forget things, right? Um, it could be better translated, Jacob I have chosen, and Esau I have rejected. The promise came through Jacob. But here's the neat thing. Esau's descendants who became the Edomites could be saved. Ishmael's descendants could be saved too. The promise becomes open to everyone through the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And even in the Old Testament, the promise was open to everyone. That was what Jonah was about, the reluctant racist prophet who did not want to go to Nineveh, but God wanted to save the people of Nineveh. They could be saved too, but the promise came through Isaac and later Jacob. So that's how we got to here. God, we are seeing right here that this chapter is showing that God has a right to do what he wants with nations. God has a right to choose Israel. One reason that God chose Israel is that the Messiah, that means anointed one, Jesus would come through Israel. The Messiah, Jesus, came through the descendants of Abraham. And all throughout the Old Testament, God is protecting that line for the Messiah. Through, through Jesus, Jewish people and Gentiles can be saved. This is the good news. We are the problem. And God is the solution. And through Jesus, the Gentiles are grafted in. God does. He doesn't need us. That's why it's about grace. That's why it's about mercy, which we just sang about. You know, God doesn't need us, but he chose to save us because he wants to love us. He, desire, he does desire a relationship with us. 
In Genesis 12, God said that he would bless the nations through Abraham. And further, that Abraham is the father of many nations. And that has totally happened as the Gentiles are grafted in. So we come back to verse 14. And in verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. In Romans chapter 3, verse 5, Paul talked about this same question. God is not unrighteous. God cannot be unrighteous. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 7, it reads this. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God, or partiality, or taking bribes. We may be concerned that even in the, some of the most important, highest games, like the Olympic Games, there may be bribes going on and injustice going on, but not with God. God is not partial. God, is, God, God has no immorality. God does not lie. God does not change his mind. God is totally just. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says that God shows no partiality. God is just. Now, what does it mean to be just? In our cultural climate today, we may even not realize that. Dictionaries are changing. Definitions are changing. Everything's changing. What does it mean to be just? One dictionary definition reads, based on behavior according to what is morally right and fair. Based on behavior according to what is morally right and fair. To be just means to be impartial in judgment. God is not partial in judgment. Think of equity. God punishes wrongdoing. God will do what is right. God's judgment is impartial. God is righteous. That is why Paul is bringing it up again in Romans. Paul, uh, people, I said it wrong, people could be charging God with being unjust and favoring the Jewish people over the Gentiles. But Paul is responding to that argument saying, no, God's promises are true and sure. God is faithful to his promises. And Paul is about to give examples. The first example he's going to give is Pharaoh. Paul will write about Pharaoh uh, uh, until verse 24. He's going to give two examples, actually. Paul's going to give two examples until verse 24. And the first example is Pharaoh. And then in verses 21 through 24, the example will be a potter with pottery. I've already referenced this. Can the clay look back at the potter and say, no, why have you made me this way? I don't want to be this way. Make me something else. No, a clay can't do that. That'd be absurd to even think about. Then in verses 25 through 26, we will see an example from Hosea. The Old Testament prophet Hosea predicted that God's grace will not be limited to Israel. Again, God is faithful to his promises. Way back in the Old Testament, God had already said... That his grace will not be limited to Israel. Then in verses 27 through 29, Paul will quote from Isaiah to show that even amongst Israel, only a remnant will be saved. In Isaiah chapter 1 verse 9. In Isaiah chapter 9 verses 27 through 29. In Isaiah chapter 10 verses 22 through 23. God had said that only a portion of Israel will be saved. And his grace would not be limited to Israel. The point is that God is being consistent with his word. God is being consistent with his promises. Paul will wrap up this chapter with two grand conclusions. We're going to see in verse 30. Through faith the Gentiles have found righteousness without even seeking it. The Gentiles. The Greek word actually means the nations. Have found righteousness. And then in verses 31 through 33. Through the law... The Old Testament law, Israel, has not found righteousness even after seeking it. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how the Israelites were so focused 
on doing the law themselves, achieving, achieving the law on their own doing, earning their salvation, that they missed it. And, and so Paul is showing that God has been faithful. God has been consistent with his promises. That Jesus, in verse 33, he's going to quote an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14 and 28, 16, that even Jesus became a stumbling block to the Jewish people. Why is that? Is it because they wanted the candy? They wanted what they wanted, not what was God's plan? They missed it. They were so focused on themselves, making themselves feel good. They missed it. And we can do the same thing today. And that summarizes the rest of, this, of, of Romans chapter 9. As I've stayed, stated before, I think in Romans 9, Paul is making the case that God has a right to do with nations as he pleases. And he used the nation of Israel to bring about the Messiah, to bring about Jesus. And, and, and through Jesus, uh, Gentiles are grafted in. This isn't to say that he doesn't have a further purpose with Israel. We're going to see that in chapter 11, that eventually more Jewish people will be saved. And as I've stated repeatedly, many Jewish people are being saved. Many Israelites are being saved this day and age. There's great revival. And there are ministries, chosen people's ministries, to reach the Jewish people with the gospel. So let's look at Paul's first example, Pharaoh. God determined to pardon sinful Israel with undeserved grace. Let's look at verses 15 through 16. Verse 15 reads, For he says to Moses, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It's about God. Does God have a right to have mercy on whom he's gonna, he can have mercy? He is God. Who are we to speak back to God? In verse 15, Paul is actually quoting from Exodus 33, 19. Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. In that passage, Moses was interceding for the people. And Moses wanted to see the Lord. And the Lord says that his goodness will pass before Moses. In verse 16, Paul makes a conclusion. Verse 16 reads, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It's about God. If you remember that passage from, from Exodus 33, in Exodus chapters 32 and 33, uh, the Israelites are led out of Egypt by God. God leads them out of Egypt with many different miracles and many different things. And what do the Israelites do? They make a golden calf. Moses confronts his brother Aaron. What happened? Aaron says, the people brought me this gold. I threw it in the fire and out popped this calf. It's like talking to a child, right? That's how the Israelites at that time responded to the grace of God. And God said he was ready to just get rid of the Israelites. And Moses interceded for the people. And God says he's going to pass before Moses. He'll have mercy on who he has mercy. He'll have, he'll have um, and justice on, on who he wants to have justice. Well, actually, his wrath upon who he wants to have wrath. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. I'm going to quote from Bobby Murphy. Many of you have heard of him. Uh, Pastor Bobby Murphy shared this. Man deserves nothing from God. Thus, if he withholds advantage from a person, he isn't unjust because the person doesn't deserve it. The fact he gives advantage to another person who doesn't deserve it is irrelevant in that regard. So God determined to punish sinful Pharaoh with deserved judgment in verses 17 through 18. Let me read verses 17 through 18. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. He has mercy on who he wants, and he hardens who he wants. Paul uses a typical rabbinic formula here, in which the Old Testament scriptures are figuratively portrayed as speaking to Pharaoh. What he means is that the scripture he cites refers or can be applied to Pharaoh. It wasn't originally speaking to Pharaoh, but it, it, it can be referred to Pharaoh. Paul's responding about Pharaoh. That passage comes from Exodus chapter 9, verse 6. Paul does not explain the context, so we are supposed to know the context. Most of us know it. Moses was confronting Pharaoh. God was doing miracles and curses on the Egyptians in order to show his glory and lead the people out of Egypt. God did show his glory to Pharaoh and through Pharaoh. And I'm quoting from Bobby Murphy again. Uh, Notice this passage says hardens. Notice the word hardens in verse 18. It alludes to the terminology in the narratives about Pharaoh. Those verses teach God hardened Pharaoh's heart in order to demonstrate his power through the ten plagues. God hardened Pharaoh's heart, so Pharaoh refused to let the Israelites go. And that allowed God to continue showing his glory on, the, on Pharaoh and on the Egyptians with the ten plagues. Verse 18 is another application. God's mercy is about God. There are many scriptures about the Lord hardening hearts. And that is a difficult concept for us to talk about. John Piper shares, at least in this case, God seems not to be actively inflicting a hardening, but instead withholding himself, which is itself the hardening. It seems as if God knew Pharaoh's heart and God delivered Pharaoh over to his own ways. God knew Pharaoh had a hard heart. God knew Pharaoh had a callous heart. God just said, have it your way. I will pull back my grace from you. I will let you go your own way. The Christian Standard Bible says Exodus points out that Pharaoh hardened his heart many times before God punished him by hardening him. One more source shares, God is sovereign in all that he does. Although the text says repeatedly, however, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it also stresses that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. One person notes, neither here nor anywhere else is it God, is God said to harden anyone who had not first hardened himself. But still the point is true. God is the Lord. God is the creator. God is the sustainer. And God does have the right to do with his creation as he pleases. He can have mercy on whom he wills. He can harden who he wills. And therefore, we must give worship to God for his mercy and his grace. Psalm 51.12, David is repenting of sin. And he says, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Have we ever prayed that? I have. How easy it is to forget God's mercy and God's grace. Our natural bent is to make it about us rather than about God. Our natural bent is to say, I earned my salvation. I did it. Our natural bent is to say, God loved me because of how good I am. Uh Uh-uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 9, God says to the people, I did not choose you because you were more numerous. I did not choose you because you were greater than the others. No, it is about God's grace. It is about God's mercy, and we need to remember that. So let's make some applications here. We must be careful of accusing God of being unjust. That's what verse 14 is about. Be careful. Sometimes those thoughts come into our mind. We need to reprove them. We need to rebuke them. We need to have a reality check here. We must remember that God is a Lord and he is the creator. He is a sovereign king of the world. In all that he is and all that he was and all that he ever shall be, he is king. God holds all things in existence. That's what John 1, 1 to 14 is about. That's what Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is about. If God just quit thinking about creation, it could just fall apart. Jesus holds the cosmos together. That's unfathomable. We are in a very entitled society, a society that just wants to say, if it feel good, feels good, do it. We are in a society that wants to exalt the self above all else, and we need to have a reality check and remember this is about God. This is about the Lord. And he has saved us because he does love us and he wants a relationship with us. And we are sinning and we are fleeing from him. And when we are running the other way, I really do believe he wants us to repent and turn back to him. But not because he needs us, because he loves us. Which actually, I think, exalts God more and maybe should even make us worship him more. Make, make us love him more. If he did it because he needed us, we wouldn't worship him as much, Right? It's about God. It's about his grace. It's about his mercy. We must remember that when we do have doubts or questions about God, and we have doubts and questions about his justice, it's important to think them through and pray them through, as Paul does right here. Notice this. In this whole chapter, Paul is not rebuking them. I mean, he's reproving them a little bit, but he's not saying, how could you? He's thinking them through. He's writing it clearly so they could understand that God is consistent with his promises. Paul could have just said, I wish Israelites would be saved. God's consistent with his promises. Quit questioning God. Shut up and go repent. He could have done that, but he didn't. He spends a whole chapter, 33 verses, and another chapter, and another chapter, talking about, with, talking about how God has been consistent with his plan. And if you look at, I work ahead on my sermon, so I've been working on Rome, the rest of Romans 9 and Romans 10. It is totally full of Old Testament quotations. Paul is using the Old Testament prophets to show that God has been consistent with his word. God has been consistent with his promises. God is just and God is faithful. Let's continue with the applications. We must remember that it is God's right to have mercy on who he wants to have mercy and God's right to have compassion on who he wants to have compassion on. God would have every right to have eliminated the human race when sin entered the world in Genesis 3 or when the Israelites made the golden calf in Exodus 32, but he didn't. We must worship God for his mercy on us. We must worship God for his mercy, giving us the gospel. We must worship God for his mercy, giving us the Holy Spirit. Read John chapters 14, 15, and 16 about the Holy Spirit and worship God for his mercy. We must worship God for his mercy in the place of our birth. Do you ever think about that? How amazing it is where we are born. And we ought to also we ought to also not think that we are greater because of the place of our birth. Maybe God just knew where we should be born. He knew what we needed. Worship God for that. We must worship God for his mercy on the time of our birth. 
We must worship God for his mercy in the family we were born to because I believe God lines up all those microscopic details for us to receive the Lord or maybe for us to reject the Lord. I think he gives us opportunities and he wants us to be saved. I should clarify what I just said. When we reject the Lord, I think he is lining up all those little details so we couldn't say we had an excuse. So we had opportunities. Romans 1 says no one's without excuse. We must worship God for his mercy and the family we were born to. We must worship God for his mercy that we do not suffer more. Think about that. We must worship God for his mercy, this is a hard one, that we do not suffer less. Maybe even in suffering, it is God's mercy drawing us closer to him. You ever think about that? Read Johnny Erickson Tata, and she would write about that as one who really could. I think God redeems horrible situations and uses them for his good. And sometimes we may not know the good until we are even with him in heaven, if we ever know. Praise God that it is not about us, but about God. Verse 16. If it was about us, we would never be saved. That's what Ephesians 2 is about. Do we realize that? If it was about us, if, if, if it was left up to us, we would never be saved. If it, would have been, if it was about us, we would fail. We cannot save ourselves. We were dead in our sins. That's what Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says. And then it says, but God. God intervened. And for those in my Sunday school class today, Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 8, Moses, uh, Noah's in the ark. And then it says, but God remembered Noah. Two most important words in the Bible, but God. We must recognize that God does put people in places for his glory as he did with Pharaoh. God is sovereign. Yet we must recognize that God seems to harden people who are already hard-hearted. May we not be hard-hearted. Maybe some of us here needs to think about that. Some of us, if I'm honest, myself at times, I have to repent of this too. We just have a critical spirit. We're looking for every fault and everything, and we can never hear from God because we're criticizing everything, including God. May we not be hard-hearted. So justice, we all long for it, don't we? We want justice. In this world, we lack justice. I have an example. Some of you will remember it. It was 1994, and O.J. Simpson was the main suspect in the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Goldman. I was disappointed because I used to like watching O.J. Simpson for his sports analysis. Supposedly, that trial was something that changed cable news. Any of you remember the white Bronco chase? Many people, I saw it myself, were glued to the television to watch CNN to see if O.J., the juice, didn't they call him the juice? I think they did. Would be acquitted of the crime. The thought was that his money and influence would get him off. And on October 3rd, 1995, we turned on the TV in my school to watch it. And he was acquitted of all criminal charges. In this world, we have injustice. But take heart, God is a just judge. I read this. I did not write it. Christianity is the unreligion. The unreligion. It turns, Christianity turns all our religious instincts on their heads. The ancient Greeks told us to be moderate by knowing our inclinations. The Romans told us to be strong by ordering our lives. 
Buddhism tells us to be disillusioned by annihilating our consciousness. Hinduism tells us to be absorbed by merging our souls. Islam tells us to be submissive by subjecting our wills. Agnosticism tells us to be at peace by ignoring our doubts. Moralism tells us to be good by discharging our obligations. Only the gospel tells us to be free by acknowledging our failure. Christianity is the unreligion because it is the one faith whose founder tells us to bring not our doing, but our need. Because we are needy, and we need Jesus' grace, and we need his mercy. And may we just stand amazed at that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we truly stand amazed in your presence. May we truly, Lord God, stand amazed by your amazing grace, as we sang earlier. May we stand amazed by your mercy. As we sang about that too, your mercy is more. Lord God, may we rebuke our thoughts that make us think, how could God, and things like that. And pray through those thoughts, really. We all have those doubts and questions sometimes. But Lord God, may we be reminded as Christians not how could God, but how could we, even as Christians, to continue to follow our own ways. When we know the inner voice of the Holy Spirit is saying, follow me, follow God. May we follow your ways, Lord. May we organize our affairs, our lives around you. And certainly, Lord God, as I close this sermon with prayer, anyone who needs to repent of anything, I pray your Holy Spirit would keep on impressing on them their need to turn to you or turn back to you. For those that may be believers, but they're not really making you Lord and Savior, may the Holy Spirit keep impressing on them, convicting them. Don't let the conviction stop to repent and make you Lord of their life. Oh, Lord God, thank you for your great, great, great grace and mercy. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. By the praise team for the closing song.